Welcome to the Awaken the Awesome podcast with your host, Uriyidi. This is Awaken the Awesome, a podcast where we take a moment to acknowledge that we are all in this together. Through enlightening conversations and personal insights, we like to connect with individuals just like you who show us how they are bringing a little bit of awesomeness in their individual journeys. Our hope is to encourage you to always keep pushing and to stay awesome along the way. For those of you who've been along for the ride on this little audio adventure of ours, you know that I don't do too much research on my guests as I like to take a chance at getting to know the person across from me with no agenda or any expectation other than to learn from their story, vision, and craft. My next guest, Garen Jemian, is one of those breed of people who just have that particular kind of energy that you can't quite put your finger on, but definitely resonates as both genuine and engaging. As an executive coach, leadership specialist, and published author of the new book, Happy People Work Harder, Garen has made it his mission to quite simply improve life at work for leaders, as well as their teams, by inspiring positive change and humanizing the corporate experience. I was really thinking that this episode was going to be centered on or around the topics of leadership and work-life balance. Suffice to say that I was wrong. So thankfully wrong. There's something to be said when a conversation takes a turn for the surprisingly impactful and manages to leave you grateful for the opportunity. I think it's fair to warn you that this recording is a tad longer than usual. I wrestled with the choice to either edit it and publish it in two parts or just serve up the entirety of the conversation in its original form. I decided on the latter, as the experience was a truly genuine one for me, and I think it deserves to remain unabashedly intact. My thanks to Garen for his immense kindness through heartfelt wisdom and unapologetic honesty. So let's get into this. Awaken the Awesome, Episode 80 with Garen Jemian. Here we go. I want to congratulate you because I know it was a huge undertaking because you really talked a lot about it, you know, on Instagram and stuff. So congratulations on the publishing. It's a terrific work. Um, again, uh, it's, it's, it's stuff that's really on point. It's a, it's a work that's really accessible because you speak, uh, the, the, the truth and the ease. It's a very easy read. And guys, I really encourage you, uh, to actually get on that and do get Garen's book, Happy People Work Harder. And it can't put it any simpler because there is, and you've said about, you've said this a lot, uh, through your talks and a lot of the content that you promote that there's a shift right now in terms of how we are motivated in the workplace and in our own personal endeavors and monetary gain slowly, but surely is no longer our primary motivation. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, uh, just to start off this conversation, if you don't mind, when did you personally come to that realization? Oh boy. Uh, it was probably 17. <laughs> I was working the forklift. <laughs> um, I was working the forklift at, at 17 and I realized that uh, I hated my life. Um, and the only thing I could justify uh, trading away my hours of my life was a tiny paycheck. Uh, fast forward a few years, I was a corporate slave, uh, you know, in the, in the big telecom companies. And, 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 and this is really where it all happened is I'm sitting down. I was one of those grade A type of employees doing, you know, corporate customer service kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, zero complaints. All my clients loved my work. No backlog. Just excellent. It's just my energy was just completely negative and down. I just sounded like I was completely depressed on the phone. And so my, my manager would call me into her office almost weekly, like a principal's office, and just talk to me and talk to me and talk to me. 
And um, and one day she's like, she, she turns to me and she goes, Garen, what are you doing here? I said, I don't know. I, I said, I'm, I'm working. I have to earn a living, you know? She goes, well, what do you want to be doing? I said, I don't know. She goes, I see you're like more of an artist, you know? And I was like, yeah, I love music and all that stuff. She goes, well, why are you doing this customer service stuff? You just have so much more to offer the world than just typing away and answering phones. I oh, wow. Said, so I turned to her and I said, uh, Joe, I said, what did you want to do in your life? She goes, I always wanted to work with my hands in the gardens, right? I wanted to be like a, you know, a, not maybe not a florist, but maybe like a, a paysagist, a gardener type of person. I said, well, mm-hmm. why don't you do that now? She said, well, maybe one day. So um, I, anyways, long story short, I ended up switching jobs. I ended up going into marketing for a men's magazine. I get a phone call one day and I'm still, uh, you know, still kind of unfulfilled now working in a, in a loft overlooking the mountains, believe it or not, amazing job. And I just still wasn't happy. One day I get a phone call and it's one of my old colleagues from work and says, did you hear our old boss, Joanne had an aneurysm and died and she was 47 years old, leaves behind her husband and her child. And she was like, 47 years old on the spot. She was dead in an instant. And in that moment, I, it was like I, I took the pill in the matrix. It's like nothing nothing mattered anymore. And I realized that no matter how much I was striving for, quote, unquote, the perfect world, the perfect office, the perfect job. And God bless him. My, my boss, how happened to be my friend, used to cook me lunch every day. It was like the best office, but it, it just wasn't for me. And when Joanne passed, I just stood up from my desk. I didn't even tell anyone I was quitting. I literally packed up my desk. I went home. Uh, and I never looked back. I sold all my stuff. I sold all my material possessions. I bought a computer, a mic, and I started recording. And I I spent the next decade in the music industry. And oh, wow. th- that's kind of where it all started. And then my life has just been a bunch of bucket lists after that. Went into the service industry, uh, owning uh, and operating service industry uh, establishments in the, in the Montreal scene downtown. And now it's been about five, six years. I, I'm giving back through the magic and the powers of executive and life coaching oh that's amazing oh, that's, so and just like that you get story. the call that <laughs> she's she's well of course there's i'm sure there's so many layers but mm-hmm. that must have been a very gut-wrenching call to get this one person that you know that you knew that you met and that you spoke to about this very topic and then boom mm-hmm. passed away mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially because she was my manager of course and the manager in, in the corporate world has this especially 15, 17 years ago, had had a sense of authority, you know, uh, a typical stressed out manager running a, a massive, you know, multinational call center and so on. Mm-hmm. And for her to humanize that moment and talk, talk to me about her passions, her ambitions, her wishes in life, what she wished she did if she wasn't a slave to her financial requirements, she would have been working in the gardens. And perhaps she'd have less stress. Perhaps that would have prolonged her life. 47. I'm still trying to get over that one. 47. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't imagine. So for you to actually take that leap, um, because one of the things I realize a lot when we're so stuck um, into that, that, that uh, what we like to call the rat race, get up, mm-hmm. go to work, make a living, come home, get up, go to work, make a living. When you're stuck in that rat race and we're always stuck by either the fear or where we've settled into the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And neither one of those is conducive to our well-being. I was wondering if you could speak on that, because it's not, it's not a good formula in any which way you put it. 
It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a deep question there, Olivier, but I'll, I, I think what resonates with me is we're on auto loop. We're on a playback loop where we can't step out of it. Uh, we're kind of reliving a groundhog day. And what you mentioned is your comfort zone, your perceived levels of comfort, your perceived notion of happiness and joy, your perceived definition of success. And so, um, you know, a little something I mentioned in the book is change your awareness, change your reality, um, and change your definition of what you believe is joy and success. So to speak to that would say, we have a very skewed definition of what it is to live well. And what I mean by that is that we've defined life as, like you said, punch in, punch out, make your pay, spend it, punch in, punch out, make your pay, spend it, retire, try to get a couple of weeks off, and then die, right? If you're lucky, you 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 salt away some extra cash and you get to retire a little early, and kudos and chapeau to all those people who are able to do that. And while I do know some people who are able to retire by 50, 55 years old, the grand majority aren't even done by 65. And so oh. what is what is a, a vast majority, a majority of the population to do at this point? And the only thing you can do is help them identify the culprit, not the symptom, but the cause of it. And the cause of it is their worldview, their perspective on this. To change their awareness is all we can really do. To get someone to devalue the material world and value the internal world is a lifelong process or it could be through um how should i put this a form of trauma who wakes up and says i can't do this anymore it's usually someone who went through something traumatic like a life threatening experience a near death experience or uh, someone close to them passes away and they just wake up and say life is too short and so we what do. are we supposed to do are we supposed to induce uh uh, you know, uh, life-threatening circumstances for everyone in the populi. <laughs> that that would be kind of drastic, wouldn't it? Right, right. So, so I'll ask you that question: uh, What allows you to snap out of it? What allows you to justify the time you're putting into the work so that you can get some sense of fulfillment on the way out? You, I believe that, and that's ironic, you know, I had to go through my own, basically, I had to go through my own process of hitting a wall, if you will, and just realize that, you know what, my energy, my time, mm-hmm. my life is not well spent here. And in the morning right now, uh, in my current state, I have to emphasize this, like, currently, it's a choice where mm-hmm. I have to, you know, make sure that these steps, these actions, this time that I'm spending in this workplace, in this work environment is a choice where I choose to bring my own joy. I choose to, you know, either um, take on the negative energy of people who might not be handling their their mm-hmm. frustration rather well. Mm-hmm. And I choose to, you know, extract myself. I choose to protect myself. But at the very, at the core, it has to be my choice, my decision, my responsibility, Absolutely. my awareness, if you will. It has to be a constant daily objective decision. Mm-hmm. Do you have children? Yes, sir. I got two. I got the young daughter who's going to going on six, and my son is three. Congratulations! That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I can almost guarantee that a, a, a switch was flicked when mm-hmm. your children were born. 
where when you, your son's the firstborn? No, uh, the thing is, um, it's funny because it's two different chapters between how my son, when my daughter was born, I was like full on in the full corporate job. I was like, no, because like, you know, my daughter and I was, so in it, it, it's embarrassing to admit, but it, I, I wasn't as present as I possibly could have mm-hmm. because, you know, I was putting a lot of time at work and as little energy that I have, you know, getting up in the middle of the night, feed her and everything, try to be present. I was there, but not as present I could have. Mm-hmm. But when my son was born, that was a switch because I was working another job, which took a lot out of me. But at, when he was born, I decided, you know what? I can't do this anymore for wow. my son. And I'm like, because, um, at the, no, I was very honest when I told my boss I was quitting because um, I told her, listen, um, the position I was holding was, you know, very corporate, very, very demanding. And career wise, it was a big step up for me. But I knew that the commitment, involvement and mindset I had to put myself to excel at that position is not something I was willing to, to give to the job as opposed to, you know, taking that away from my wife and my kids. Mm-hmm. And I chose like, you know what, my family is more important to me right now than this job. Mm-hmm. and I was very honest with my boss and she was like, you know what? Thank you for telling me because she understands and she agreed that, you know, either you can't do stuff half-assed, right? So right. either you can be here, but if you want to be with your family, I totally understand and I totally get in and I totally support you. So right. I walked away, you know, my head, my head held high and I've never regretted, but yes, you're right. I, there was a switch that flipped, you know, when my son was born. So now when you go to work, whatever mm-hmm. role that you're playing, Am I am I am I fair to assume that you go in with a mindfulness? Yes, the choice, but not only the choice, but while you're conducting uh, the activity of working, mm-hmm. at somewhere behind behind your mind, you know why you're doing it. It's for your mm-hmm. children, for the time for your children, and, and therefore that space that you can you can create for complaining and negativity and whatever you want to call it, kind of gets moved aside because there's a greater purpose to what you're doing definitely Mm -hmm. every time that happens every time that happens every time i feel overwhelmed or anything Mm -hmm. um when people say like you know you don't bring work home i'm very mindful of that i'm very thoughtful of that and one of the things i i i told uh, my supervisor when i got hired um i told him is this the kind of job where you expect me to wake to answer an email on a saturday afternoon it's like like no, no, because we 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 uh, we emphasize on your family life, work family, work family stability is very important to us. So you clock out at four thirty, you clock out at four thirty. You need doctor's appointments, you 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 go. You know, it's like it's very fair. You know, it's it's do not do not as I say, like you know, give and take. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. here for us, and we're here for you. So that's that's always yeah. been what's been given to me, and I respect that. You know, that yeah. I've had that respect, so I have that clarity to actually be at work. When I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at home, I'm at home. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. That's part of my mandate when I when I when I when I go to these uh, organizations, these companies. I call that humanizing the corporate experience. And it's it's exactly the truth that we're driving into uh, these organizations now because we're we're talking about an entire population that's demanding these things now. That's saying work life balance is a thing, and we want it. You know, money is a basic requirement for us to come in here. But other than money. Why would I come to you rather than your competitor? And it really comes down to how many of my life values are being fulfilled. And life values, we're talking maybe, you know, flexibility. How many hours do I have to put in? Do I get to spend time with my family, right? How much stress am I going to be under, right? 
Um, what type of people am I going to be working with? What's the physical environment like? Is it, is it dark, somber with neon lights or is it something a little bit more pleasant? And so all of these values are now emerging where money is, is now becoming the prerequisite. And then from there on, it's what else can we offer to allow Olivier to feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment while he's here for those 40 hours a week. So aside from money, mm -hmm. why am I here? Mm -hmm. Money can't be the end all and be all of my presence here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. it's There's a an exception I guess it's to a the rule though, right? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, there's only one exception. I call, I call it the salesman exception, exception. I find that the only people that I can, I could think about that are truly motivated by money are people in sales. Okay. Not all of them, but if I were to find one that was motivated, that all they cared about was show me the money. They were, they were money driven. And so usually those people would be in some form of sales or commission based role. Mm -hmm. Right. So it is possible to still find someone who's money motivated. You might have a CEO or, or a small business owner who's only money motivated. That's that's fine. Um, but we can't generalize that. And we, can, we we definitely have to open up the scope to what else are people looking for. But it, it is definitely possible to be purely money motivated. Uh, it is always I enjoy I enjoyed uh, the talk. Uh, that you gave uh, for TEDx Concordia. And guys, I definitely invite you to look it up on YouTube. Just type Garen's name, Garen, Jimmy, and TEDx, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a very powerful talk about motivation and joy within the workplace. And I'm not spoiling it, but when you talked about being slapped inside the head, mm -hmm. I totally saw myself, because I'm from Port-au-Prince. I grew up Haitian, so <laughs> I, I can totally relate. You know, with the slipper but, or the wooden spoon. <laughs> uh, but, uh, for uh, it was it, basically it was a flavor of the month. Whether it was a slipper, or sometimes it was a switch, uh, it was a belt, whichever. Sometimes the back of the hand could just you know it was very simple. Right. <laughs> you, you swear what you have. Sorry, mom. I love you, mom. Um, but um, but I really enjoyed uh, the comparison that you made between you know just the family dynamic and trying to encourage your children to actually do better and try to you know have more motivation within what they're doing. Mm -hmm. and the workplace like mm -hmm. listen how do we because it's a different type of mentality if you wish between leaders right i've been i've been a boss and i've been an employee and you're right about that there is the entire threat okay do the job because i said so mm -hmm. or you know the incentive if you will mm -hmm. do the job that's what i pay you for you know mm -hmm. but it's no longer like that anymore because first of all it's kind of abuse it's kind of an abusive mentality mm -hmm. because that's all you know. But that does, as far as, I, as I'm concerned, and you emphasize that, that doesn't work. It does mm -hmm. not work because a lot of times myself, I'm like, I'm here because I want to be. Not because I like it. Pays the bills. But you're right. At the very end of the day, how am I supposed to enjoy being here? And that's the word that we're looking for joy within mm -hmm. our various activities, not just in our jobs, but in our lives. Mm -hmm. And how do we as leaders insight? How do we, you know, spark that interest, that motivation, that, you know, that compassion? And it's something that has to be because there's always been the traditional aspect of leadership. But leaders, I believe right now have to develop a more heightened sense of emotional intelligence. Am I mistaken? Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, uh, I think you hit it right on the head. And that's exactly why I became a coach. I was I was a boss for a decade. And and 
my turnover rate was like 500%. It was ridiculous. And I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this because no matter how cool, quote unquote, cool of a boss, you know, easy going, chill, all good. Um, I was, I, I still wasn't getting the results I was looking for. And so I ended up jumping into this field and it turned out to be my next calling. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing that affinity that we're looking for to develop in leadership, that's, my primary mandate, and I call it teaching leaders the fundamentals of coaching. What we're actually trying to do is getting leaders to be more intuitive um, and to, to, to make it completely simplified. Listen more, ask more, talk less, understand more. That's really all it comes down to. And, and, and it just, I know it's oversimplified. But it, it can't be stressed more than that in the sense that if, if leaders only understood two things, number one, people are always driven by some form of pleasure or by the avoidance of pain. And usually, especially in modern society, it's, you know, towards pleasure. Um, the second thing is you can only find out what people are driven towards if you ask some questions and you listen and you just aim towards the discovery of the person in front of you, rather than doing the talking where you'll learn nothing. And so, okay. Are you, are you following me so far? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's really all. It, you just need to know two things. One, everyone does anything for one reason, which is happiness, joy. I could ask you any question. If I ask you the question, why enough times, you will eventually come to the answer because it makes me happy or some derivative of that. I'll ask someone, why did you buy those shoes? Oh, because they look good. And so uh, you bought them because they, they make you look good. That's right. And if you're, you know, if your shoes look good, then what? Oh, well, I'll feel better about myself. And if you feel better about myself, well, uh, then I'll be happy. Boom, right there. So, uh, and this goes from anything big to small. It doesn't matter. Um, Getting up and going to the washroom to relieve yourself is a form of joy, right? Mm -hmm. Something as simple and as 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 routine as going to the washroom or eating or uh, sleeping in your bed—it's all indications of things that we're looking for. Whether we want to call it comfort, practicality, um, acceptance, um, luxury—it's all forms of pleasure. And once the leader really just gets that. As, as the matrixian pill, well, that's step one. And then they'll say, okay, well, what do they want, right? And so mm -hmm. we now know that anyone wants anything because it makes them happy or it, they, they perceive it to make them happy. And the second one is, well, how can I find out what people want? And, well, why don't you ask them? And so wow. there's, no, there's no silver bullet to leadership because every single human is slightly different. However, we all have patterns. And so in the book, what I did was, was I broke down our wants into three categories, which is external, right? Mm -hmm. Material stuff, interactive, such as relationships uh, and uh, responsibilities at work, the tasks, how we interact with our environment. And lastly, internal, such as how our mind, body, and soul and our emotions kind of live this thing called life. And by, by categorizing them in those three little elements, uh, three categories, we're now able to better understand what people look for in, in their professional lives and beyond. And from there on, now we can break it down to about six prime categories, six core categories. 
And from there, we could just spread that out like a tree diagram. And we could sum it up to about 30 to 50 elements that I could almost guarantee you would sum up 90% of everything we're looking for. And now the leader has uh, a roadmap into what could my employees ever want? And all that's left to do now is figure out how can I help them achieve that? Right? For instance, maybe Olivier wants, uh, um, you know, like everyone else, to feel appreciated and recognized. Mm -hmm. Well, how much time do leaders spend sitting down saying, how am I going to show appreciation to Olivier this week? They're so busy trying to meet their mandates and their requirements and their KPIs that the last thing on their mind is, how am I going to show Olivier a bit of appreciation? And what he doesn't realize is that the cheapest, easiest thing to do in a business, which is exactly that, is one of the reasons why Olivier might not stay. To listen. Listen. I'm just so reliving um, some ch- a chapter of mine when I was like uh, heading uh, some call centers in mm-hmm. Montreal. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's so funny. And I'm just going to take this quick comparison because I know you're the guest. I just want to make a quick comparison. Oh, please. The thing is, I, was, I started out on, in the call center. I was yep. working the night shift in the call center. I was started out like on the proverbial bottom of the ladder. And, you know, just being on time and doing the shifts and working the crappy shifts and, you know, befriending the bosses and everything. Eventually, I I ended up manager, right? But yeah. everybody knew me. Everybody, oh, it's like, what if you're the boss now? I was like, you know, everybody knew me. And the thing is, what I think helped me navigate, if you will, the, 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 the muddy waters when stuff would happen, you know, you're exceeding calls and, you know, just like trying to make, try to make stuff happen. Why I got more collaboration on my employees and a lot of them, even after I left, told me that, like, we miss you because you understood the reality. You mm-hmm. know, people that had young kids, people that were that were like, you know, in excess of like, you know, uh, college, uh, college mm-hmm. exams and, you know, people who were moving, people who just passed away, some people who lost a baby, you know, and right. a lot of bosses didn't even a lot of like, you know, my colleagues, my fellow managers didn't know these. But these are stories that people will tell me even before the shift or mm-hmm. on their break or in the parking lot. Like, what do you can I talk to you two seconds? Yeah, I know. I was just like, you know, I, I know I'm getting a lot of calls and everything. I know you're, you're, my stats are down is because this is happening. And for me, it was a valid reason because. This, at the very least, this is not just a number on a chart and a stat. This is a human being. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I felt that I was being, you know, condemned for that, mm-hmm. for being like too lenient. Mm-hmm. And I know that sometimes From your managers, of course. Exactly. Uh-huh. Because I was told that to my face. It's like, yeah, they relate to you because like, you know, they like you, but I don't need them to like you. I need them to perform. I was right. told that to my face. Of course. I'm like, how do you expect them to be motivated when, you, when this is what you think about them? Right. And I think that's one of the things that motivated me to leave because I could not, I couldn't deal with it anymore. Because, you know? <laughs> again, so, different personalities, say, I guess. Yeah, I'm hearing you say that through your experience by living that, you know, the boots on the ground, quote unquote, uh, you, you got a heightened sense of empathy for the people that were now your employees. Exactly. Right. And so you didn't have to put in the work of listening and asking and understanding people because you lived it and you were there before you became the manager. And so that's exactly what we're telling the leaders to do is put yourself in that shoe. And you just said it. They told you that they don't want the employees to like you. You want, they just want them to be, you know, uh, as productive as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, a little quote I put in, you know, and I, and I like to say before work, there is life. And before life, there is nothing. 
And I just find that as soon as people get into an office space, they put on this weird mask that is not natural. It's not human. And it's almost as though they, they're able to dehumanize themselves. Kind of like someone who goes into a slaughterhouse and kills a bunch of animals, but claims themselves an animal lover, you know, but they're mm-hmm. somehow like they work in a slaughterhouse, you know? So you have to dehuman, dehumanize yourself. You have to detach yourself emotionally to be able to do these things. And, and I can't stress enough the fact that an office space is nothing more than the assembly of human beings working together in unison, in harmony, towards the achievement of a common goal. And That's somehow the word assembly of humans gets omitted when you're talking to upper management. Why? Because humans... And I really don't want to sound arrogant in the sense that I have an answer to all this stuff, but it seems to be stuff that I talk about every day. So I do have an opinion on it. You see, I I believe that humans, I told you that the the common denominator for all of our actions is joy. Would you agree with that? Certainly. Certainly. Thank you. Now, for business, the equivalent for joy for the prime motivator is? Money. Money. Money profits, return on investment. That's all it is. And so if, if, if you studied business by the books, if you went and got your, you know, bachelor's in businessmen, or if you got your MBA and you came out of there and you had no street smarts, you would come out playing by the book. Well, you know, your prime objective is ROI. You know, your ROI. prime objective is making the shareholders happy profit profit which How much is money did we make this quarter this planet's going to fucking die before we reach the point of fulfillment of material goods and possessions and yet we still strive for profit it's it's the absolute definition of insanity I just read a quote, you know, the world doesn't need more successful people, you know, the, the world needs more people who understand that success is killing the world. That is so true. But no one cares about that. And so, you know, I'm paid to go and help organizations maximize the potential of their employees and make their jobs happier. But at the end of the day, I'm, I myself, as much as I want to rebel against the machine I'm nothing but a cog in that same machine that is driving this planet into the ground. And so we are actively <laughs> we are actively contributing to our own exhaustion and mental because again we're all trying to you know um, flip that switch, but at the same time we're all caught caught in this wheel that mm-hmm. keeps turning. Exactly. That's frightening. I mean, as 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 you know, as noble as my work, I, I, I want it to be because I'm looking for more purpose and sense of satisfaction and fulfillment to the point where I literally do this job for free if I have to. You know, mm-hmm. uh, clients ask me how much I charge. Well, I'll say anywhere from zero to five hundred bucks. He goes, "Well, how can I get zero? I say, "Well, if you're a single mom with two kids and unemployed, it's free. You bake me cookies and I coach you." That's how I work. I'm not kidding. But if you're a fucking, if, if you're a fucking VP of sales and you're asking me to, to charge you 50 bucks, well, you know what? Get your, get your head on straight, right? So. Seriously. 
I'm not kidding, man. I'm not kidding. I'll, I'll, I'll get like, you know, I, I get people that make a quarter million dollars a year and, and like stuff away at the fact that I'll charge them a $150 for an hour to help them double their, you know, their return on investment. So oh boy, it's, 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 it's definitely a, a tug of war in my mind as far as my sense of purpose goes, simply because by helping people become more successful versions of themselves, at least in the line of work of executive and sales coaching and all the other fun stuff that I do, all we're mm -hmm. really doing is getting, uh, allowing people to achieve external forms of success, which then, as you can tell, creates a serious existential crisis. If you understand what's happening globally right now. Obviously, obviously. So, yeah. What to do? <laughs> what to do? Isn't that every time we're waking up, I'm like, okay, why am I getting up? Mm -hmm. What is your purpose for getting up? Mm -hmm. And at the very least, and it's it, it's it's really it's it's really uh, cliche to say this, but I always encourage people, as cliche as it sounds, because again, I don't have all the answers, but that's just me and how I try to carry myself throughout this journey. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, I always try to ask myself, how did I maximize these 24 hours? I'm not talking about money. Did mm -hmm. I learn something? Do I feel better? Did I invest in my health? Did I spend more time with my wife? Did I kiss mm -hmm. my kids? Did we, did I go get a haircut? Did I read a passage in a book in the Bible? What whatever's your shtick, right? right? But at the very least, please don't fall into the routine of just like, well, another day, another okay? dollar, <laughs> another dollar. Well, you bring Here's up a great point there, Olivier. Mm -hmm. Is you just mentioned all the elements that are at least interactive and internal. Personal development, growth, challenge, love, family, community, contribution, purpose, spirituality. You notice something in common with all those things? What's that? They're all internal. At most okay. interactive. There's nothing external about those desires that you mentioned. That's true. And so the ultimate coaching, per, per se, uh, the ultimate interaction is one where you and I do not talk about how do we achieve external uh, success, but one where we could find joy in our interaction and our internal growth. You were talking about mental stimulation. You were talking about spiritual stimulation. You were talking about relationships and love mm -hmm. and community mm -hmm. and God, right? It matters to me. Yeah. That all these things matter to me because, you know, you come down to the point where you have to take ownership of the fact that wherever you go there you are mm -hmm. and if, if you're not at peace with yourself how's the next person going to be able to relate to you on mm -hmm. a, a no more constructive more empowering note you mm -hmm. have to be well within yourself so it has right. to start from within your health your breathing how you relate to your kids your immediate environment are you sleeping properly are you feeding yourself well are you feeding your mind what type mm -hmm. of stuff are you reading what type of shows are you watching you know, are you watching too many shows? You know, it's, it's, it, it sounds cliche, like I said, and I'm not trying to be condescending, but these are things that I believe we should be paying just a little bit more attention to. That's just mm -hmm. me. You know, you're, you're, what you're mentioning now is, is kind of delving into, have you ever uh, explored, um, they call it the life wheel. Have you ever, ever looked into that stuff? No, no, so not at all. The life wheel, uh, when, I, when I mentioned all those elements of fulfillment at, in a job, right? I broke it down into six categories and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. And there was about 30 to 50 elements there. All of that goes under the heading of career, right? But when we look at fulfillment in life, there's about 
eight to 12 primary categories that you can play with, career being one of them. And so okay. when, when we coach an individual for fulfillment, and, and there's a reason I put this in the book, and I, and I say it again, before work, there's life. Before life, there's nothing. And therefore, nothing. If, if we're looking for fulfillment, you know, someone will say, you know, are you an executive coach? Are you a leadership coach? Or, you know, I'll, I'll be real and, and love to all coaches out there, but the whole thing's a sham. There's no such thing as, yes, an executive coach, a leadership coach, a management coach, a business coach, a sales coach. Great. But at the end of the day, it, it's all encompassed under the big header that says life. And so it's not unusual for a session of mine to start in, say, sales or performance. Some, you know, you overutilization of the words optimization and synergy or some weird <laughs> thing like that, right? There's so many buzzwords we use. It's disgusting. And, and it'll end up with something like, you know, under one of the other headers in life. And I'll name them quickly, but beyond career, there's your finances, which is separate. Then you have mm. health, you have your romance, you know, your significant other, you have friends, you have family, you have your social life. You have your recreation time, your hobbies, your travel, your spirituality. Um, you have your physical environment, whether you like living in Montreal in Canada, if you like living, uh, you know, downtown or not, do you like the inside of your house. So that's physical environment. We can go on to, you know, your sense of contribution, um, your sense of belonging in your community. And finally, your legacy as in what are you leaving behind when you're, when this life is over with? And so just these words, I'm, you know, rambling out here, so many other elements to life other than career. And so as a coach, even though I'll go in with, with maybe a suit and tie and sit down with an exec, we might come out hugging it out with tears in our eyes because we were talking about, you know, the need for giving back and, and, and how, how great it feels and, and, and joining some form of charitable institution. And and so the message I'd send there is all coaching is some form of life coaching, just depends on which angle you use. Because you need to connect with the person on something other than just their ROI. And yeah, you should, you know, switch uh, from this model to this model. Because at the very core, people are people. Whether you're an executive, right. whether you're, you're, you're a music superstar, uh, wh whatever, at the very core, at the very least, people are people. And we are mm -hmm. all you know the spark at the very least is our emotions our thoughts our words and our relationships with each other at the mm -hmm. very least you take you peel away all those layers that's my personal belief you peel away all those layers that connection is with a person mm -hmm. and everybody can relate to that love mm -hmm. children marriage pain sorrow career you know, just wanting more money. We're all motivated by the same things, maybe not at the same level, with the same ambition, with the same eagerness, if you will. Mm -hmm. But at the core, we connect on all those facets. And I really thank you for that. I didn't, I hadn't heard of the uh, of the of the life wheel, but I really, I'm I'm going to look into that. I really thank you for that. There's, man, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, cur curiously, yeah. Here's a scenario, and you thought you taught me, you know, because again. You, you talked about being 17 and, you know, when you come to that realization. And mm -hmm. I remember, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a personal thing. Um, the crap, I like to call it the crappiest job I've ever had. Mm -hmm. I was working for a very high label, very high note shoe company here in Montreal in the <laughs> warehouse. 10 <laughs> hours a day. 
10 hours a day, four days a week. Yeah. From, from 10 to eight, 10 oh, hours boy. a day. And like, and if you want to go over now, if you want to go overtime, Hey, you got to pay the bills. I got to pay the rent, got to pay those school books. Right. You know? And I hated it every second because, yeah. you know, you walk in, you have no idea what you're doing. I got hired, you know, I don't know. You know when the ad sounds nice, but when you when you actually get to the job, this is totally not as advertised. And I'm not crapping on the company. I am just crapping on the youngin who wasn't smart enough to realize he was being played. Right. Because, hey, they just need a pair of hands, and they got me for cheap. It was a crappy salary. It was crappy hours. But you know what? Why I'm, I'm crapping on him is because he was comparing himself to the other people who have been doing it for 20 years who were happy to be there, you right. know? They'd been doing it for 20 years, so it must be it must be cool, right? For them, not for you. Exactly. You know? So is it a surprise that I got fired? Not really. And it's not really because I was really ineffective because I was confused. I was all over the place. But I can tell you that at the time, he felt really embarrassed because, you know, he's ethical and he wanted to put in a good day's work. And, you know, that's how he was brought up. And, you know, you're grateful for the job. You're grateful for the, for the paycheck. And he felt miserable. Mm-hmm. But 10 years down, I'm looking at him. I'm like, dude, you should have quit a long time ago. Oh, yeah. And do you find that we all we often get caught up? And I'm not just talking for students. I'm talking for people even right now. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's still going on? That type of mentality. Be grateful for what you have. You have a job. Be grateful for your salary. You know, just shut up with your frustration. Why are you frustrated? Wow. You know, I believe that that's definitely the older mentality where you get yourself a good job and you cross your fingers and hope that you can retire there. Um, I just don't feel that that's a reality anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that people have the choice anymore. Um, and now, don't get me wrong. Stability and security is a powerful force. Powerful force to the point where someone will be okay being miserable rather than being insecure. So to prove that is that I haven't worked on a Monday in over a decade and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so, you know, you know, I'll strut my feathers here, you know, but uh, the thing is, uh, uh, I made a pact with myself. I hate Monday mornings. And so uh, I have this little thought in my mind that says, love your Mondays, love your life. Right. And so, um, what I do is I refuse to book any type of business before 10 AM Monday morning. Mm -hmm. That's just me. I just know that Monday mornings leave me the F alone, right? So that's me. So when I'll talk to some of my clients and they'll, I'll be like, what do you want? Oh, I want to travel. I want to be flexible. I want to be my own boss and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And they're making an X amount of money. And I'm like, well, would you accept half of that money? You know, let's say you're making, you know, 60, 70 K. Well, would you take 30, 35 K and not have a boss? And they're like, oh yeah, right away. I'm like, well, why don't you do that? And so when I talk to people, a good amount of them, would like to be self-employed, would, would like to not have a boss. But here's the real kicker, is that they're fucking scared shitless of the insecurity that comes with being self-employed. And so they will never take the plunge. They will never take the leap. And so they rather have a safe, secure, really miserable, but comfortable and reliable job than to jump into the land of, the unknown. So that still does exist. 
to a certain degree. I see it more as people won't take the jump to something that will truly bring them fulfillment now. Mm-hmm. However, they might take the jump for more favorable conditions. Okay. Or, for instance, I was talking to, um, I was looking into a company called uh, Career Joy. So mm-hmm. they're saying that the average person changes uh, jobs five to seven times in their working life, which is standard now. Okay. How many times have you changed jobs since you started? Uh, let me see. Uh, just right off the top of the bell. Yeah, I'm pretty much in that ballpark. I mean, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up in that seven, I think so. Let me, right. let me really count it out here. Let me just, okay, so let's see. Let's say seven, right? Yeah, seven. I'm okay. in that seven. Yep. But here, let me let me blow the lid off this one. Are you 65? Nope. That's my point. So uh, it's accelerating. E- even the fact that when these stats were written, Technology has advanced so much that, that by the time you get to 65, these stats might be Olivier will have changed jobs 15 times. Easily. Right? It's saying that 30% of people change jobs every 12 months. Wow. Do you know people who fit into that mold? Yeah, I know a few. I mean, that's a problem. Wow. That is a problem. That is a problem. That's a problem. In my book, I, I just did a little bit of research for it, and and I was looking up the uh, Gallup. I don't know if you know Gallup, so they do a lot of employee uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, surveys and, and all that stuff. Uh, and they were saying 87% of the working global population is disengaged at work. 87%. So 87% walk into a workplace with absolutely no motivation to be there. One or one of two things. So in a company, you have three groups of people. And again, Gallup came up with this little fun thing. Well, actually, it was a Bain and Company. Uh, they, they, they turned the employees, uh, the, the, the customer satisfaction stat, well, they turned it around and, and created one for employees and they call it the Employee Net Promoter Score. And essentially what it does is it calculates which percentage of your employees are engaged, are, pr- are promoters, which percentage are um, passive, as in they, they're not paddling forward or backward, and which percentage is detracting as in they're paddling backwards as in they're they're slowing down and reversing the progress of your company and so when we say 87 percent are disengaged we're talking about 87 percent of these companies are either passive as in they're nonchalant they're blase they go in they do their work but they're definitely not moving the company forward and a portion of that would be detractors as in people who are in there who are whether cautiously or not sabotaging the organization right i could just think so just by being there you are hurting the process i mean you must know someone who worked at uh, harvey's or at a mcdonald's who spiked the pickle jar you know what i mean oh yeah oh yeah for sure so that's the detractor and then you must know someone who in a a similar position where they're at the cash and they're staring at you and you know uh, you know you, you order a coffee and a bagel and and it's the wrong order, right? And you're saying all you have to do is make, you know, give me a coffee and a bagel. And so these people, the, the, how many of them are there? So if you were to go to a, say a Tim Hortons, what percentage of the staff would you say come to the cash and they're just like 
you know, they're pumped, energetic, they're creating a, a rapport with you and they've got your order perfect and you're just Very like, wow, rarely. that service was excellent. One very in rarely, sometimes one in ten, and that's being very generous because okay. you know there are no there are no there are no you know certainties. But yeah, through my own personal experience as an, as an everyday consumer, when you walk, sometimes, and it's so funny. Sometimes I go to the drive-through and I'm the guy who's explosive with energy. Hey, how are you this morning? You're like, great. Hope your day has a good like. You know, I just want a double double. Can I just have a medium double double? Have a terrific day. Have a terrific end of shift. You know, and they're they're just like they're they're ashamed. It's like wow. <laughs> okay have a great day sir and they realize they have to get back into that formula that wow okay maybe i need to right myself up just a little bit right so w w what makes us think that the corporate space is any different it's not it's not mm -hmm. it's something that people need to take into account am i not just you know piling on as we're going to say, like, you know, just being more and more miserable, I'm piling it on for myself. While at the same time, I am not really just by warming this chair, as I like to say, you sit your ass in a chair. All you're doing here is warming a chair. Mm -hmm. if, all, if that's all you're doing, are you really helping out the company in any way? Are you just collecting your pay? But at the very least, you're not being productive. You're not adding anything. And I guess that also falls into what you talked about. And we talked about this off the air. But if you can extend a little bit on that for the listeners, the difference between just being an employee and being a pro. Because mm. you can actually be, as you mentioned, at the cash register and just serving coffees and bagels, and you can actually make it an extraordinary experience for that person who's there connecting with you for 30 seconds. You know, and uh, Yeah, sorry, go on. No, it's just like, and it's not, and I guess maybe it's all about valuing the self and valuing your position, valuing your role into the process, where you have to look at the fact that, hey, if you consider yourself the standard of excellence into the process, maybe then people will follow in kind. Mm -hmm. Don't just be an employee, be a pro. I'm guessing that's what you meant. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But as you say that, uh, I would almost peel one more layer of the onion and say, if you're just sitting there and warming your seat, what's the bigger tragedy here? The fact that you're a detractor in this company mm -hmm. or the fact that you don't value Respect yourself enough to value the time you have left on this planet that you're okay with sitting down and wasting your life away for pennies on the dollar of what your time should actually be worth. That's the real issue here is, you know, and I really did not mean to get super existential in this talk, but I think just talking, not at you, all. Uh, it's like, if you want to really humanize this is it's, 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 it's a, it's an innate subconscious and absolute denial of death yep powerful but true denial of that i will not die i will not get old therefore i can sit here and collect my check because there's no other purpose to my existence or it's going to be justified by i'm here i'm making my money and and that's all so that i could take my money and buy myself pleasure Yep. elsewhere but those 40 hours a week those 2,000 hours a year you don't get them back you do not get them back time is the one resource that we can't recycle right and so one day i uh, uh you know when i started getting into coaching this is where i started you know i i, I would just shock treatment my clients into the death talk and i had to stop because like people were getting freaked out 
but like I would, I would just drop a graph or like just pull out an algorithm where I'd say, you know, how old are you? And they'd be like, I'm 30. I'm like, okay, how many years do you have left to live? About 35. Let's, let's get super generous and tell me how long do you intend to live? Right. And they'll be like, I don't know, maybe like 90. I'm like, great. Well, how many year, how many years do you think you'll have that's actually going to be enjoyable? You think like at 88, you're going to be like doing the things you want to be doing. Can your body handle that? You know, they'll be like, oh, maybe not. So let's say 80. I'm like, okay, great. So you have 50 years to go, right? So now let's start subtra- subtracting the hours that you're wasting. And so if we just look at the working life of 65 to 30 and you have 35 years there, and I'm not going to pull out my calculator to be that asshole, but if we were to pull out those 35 years and then you look at your week and you take out 40 hours for work, you take out at least two hours a day for commute, you take out at least an hour a day for something you're going to do in the washroom, shit, shower, shave, or whatever else you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Take out at least an hour and a half of your day to eat, right? Half an hour to get dressed. If you have kids, you know where the rest of the time goes. Oh, yeah. And then throw in the time you're going to spend playing, you know, uh, video games or watching TV and doing chores and doing laundry. How many hours do you think is left over in your day? For you to actually say, I'm going to live in these few minutes. And now, if you were to break that over the, the next 35 years of your life, I want you to realize how little time you actually have left I've for left. yourself. And it's ridiculously, it's, it's eerily low. And so, yeah, I had to stop, you know, starting my coaching sessions on that note. <laughs> <laughs> that could that sets the a really weird mood I can imagine. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. They're like, Garen, that's awesome, but like uh can we not talk about this? <laughs> like, sure, no problem. But at least we now understand what we're talking about, where we don't have time to complain anymore. We don't have time to sit down and just heat your seat. Let's get a little bit urgent. And let's see if we can convert whatever it is you're doing now mm-hmm. into a vocation, as in something you could instill some purpose into. So even if you're a janitor, you can be the best fucking janitor in town. Because you can't, you can't be condescending over anybody you know how to choose to lead their lives, right? Um, I was reading this article about this bus driver who got elected, you know, London's most joyful bus driver. <laughs> like wow see i mean yeah, you know yeah. when you enjoy what you're doing and you enjoy your purpose and you find that and you clearly define it and you live your truth you have to understand what those words mean you live your mm-hmm. truth mm-hmm. nobody can tell you anything and nobody can look at you but when i see you wasting away at doing something that is clearly that not aligned with your personal truth that is either disappointing, saddening, or enraging, depending on what how how what's the level I care about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it don't you get exhausted sometimes when you when you see that? Like, doesn't it frustrate you sometimes? You know, um, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that the people who are quote unquote awake don't need help okay so if 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 we were to infuse the purpose of our role is to help people uh, and here here look at that awaken their awesome okay (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, <laughs> that yeah. was a good word. That was a good word. Oh, we can drop oh, the yeah. mic. End the episode. We're good. Wow, that was unplanned. That's the goal, right? It's 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 called awareness. It is. It's called awareness, um, and that's my job. And I, I I use the word job simply because I don't know. I I don't work. I I help people for a living. I I've never counted the minutes unless I had a client who just sat there and bored me to death with their complaints. And so I shit you not today today. I got home and I wrote two things on a notepad that from now on all my new and existing clients will know about me that mm-hmm. rule number 1 zero complaining none not uh, not permitted when you talk to me mm-hmm. and in fact I even allow a 5 minute space at the beginning of a session to just let it out man rant let it out but after that 5 minute mark don't waste my effing time anymore right now it's all about how do we claim ownership? How do we claim control over it? And how do we convert it into a positive objective? Because that's really all a complaint is. It's the polar opposite of what you want. And so okay. give me a complaint, any complaint. Shoot, I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me a complaint. Complaint? Yeah, anything. Um, I don't have time. I don't have time. Okay. Um, my wife is nagging. The kids are the kids are just t- sucking the life out of me. They refuse. They they don't want to listen. They don't want to eat. Or uh, the traffic was bad. Perfect. Or um, I'm never gonna finish writing this book. I've been wanting to write this book for the past three years. I'm not doing anything. I'm never gonna write this book. Is that is that the truth? By the way, about the book. It's Are you trying to write a book? Is that it? I'm I've I've been flirting with the idea. Okay, so. So cool. So that, that, that last one is a self-complaint, right? That's actually yeah. why am I not motivated enough to get this thing going? Or, or what fears do I have to overcome to get this thing going? And honestly, after this talk, if ever you want to chat it up and I can help you boost some of that and help you gain traction, man, I'll be more than happy to help you do that. I appreciate it. However, let's look at a stupid complaint like, uh, I hate my job, okay? Or traffic or the weather. But let's just stick to I hate my job. When the person is saying I hate my job, what do they actually want? They probably want to feel more meaningful in their daily tasks. They want to feel valued, respected, um, acknowledged. Perfect. Essentially, they want to love their job, Mm -hmm. right? It's just the opposite. So if the complaint is something negative, the positive is the objective. And it's that linear. I hate the weather. Why? It's raining. Therefore, you want the sun. Great. Okay, so once we, once we let out that complaint, the key is to help someone understand that anything that's external is outside of our control and is futile to complain about it. Anything. You can't stop your wife from complaining. However, you can claim control. So I'll ask you, let's say, I'm not going to say at all that your wife is complaining, but for, <laughs> for, for, for this exercise, let's use that and. And uh, Mrs. Olivier, you know, <laughs> no, no, no offense. Uh, Not uh, at all. Not at all. Safe space. But l- l- let's assume it's, you know, it's exactly that. It's you're not getting along with your, your significant other. The key here is, is to is to gain the awareness that there's nothing you control there, at least not for the other person. I can't control you anything uh, any more than I can control the weather. And so 
helping people gain the awareness of the control they have in such a situation, which is what do we control? Our, our thoughts and our actions. That's it. What we believe, what we imagine, and that's our attitude maybe. Uh, that's essentially the limit of, of, of our abilities as humans. And so if you're going to tell me that you hate your job, well, now it's about empowering yourself to saying, what do you actually want? And what, why don't we turn that into real objectives and do something productive here? And so when you say, you know, do you ever get, you know, annoyed of these people? Well, that's, that's, that's like my bread and butter. If people were able to convert their complaints into objectives, I'd be out of a job. Okay. That's, that's the catch 22 is I want people to stop complaining. What I actually mean is I want people to understand how to convert their complaints into objectives. Take ownership. Exactly. Exactly. So when we're talking about, uh, be a pro, that's, that's what it's about is take ownership. If you don't like your job, well, find a way of doing it that, that doesn't suck. Did you, did you read the story about the air traffic guy, the, the, the guide in Toronto Pearson airport? Who's got or, the two flashlights? Who's who just dances? Yeah, oh, yeah. the guy's awesome. The guy's, the guy's all over awesome. the news. Yeah, yeah. The guy's awesome. like moonwalking. He's like he's like the you know he's the reincarnation of there's everything. There's a guy you know? who enjoys his job. There's a guy who enjoys every freaking second of his job because he's got I've got the coolest job in the world. I get to you know just signal airplanes and entertain passengers all day, right? But put me in that role, I'd be like, oh my God, it's so cold out here. I can't believe I'm doing this. Get me out of here. I'd be like, please fire me. Fire me. Fire me. Right. So how does that guy find not even some joy, but like really turn his job into something so incredible that it makes the news? It resonates. It resonates because people identify with authenticity they resonate with genuineness and Mm -hmm. a happy person is infectious Mm -hmm. they understand the genuine feeling of happiness that this person is conveying and they can't help but resonating with that and you impact one person can impact so many people through their own happiness i'm not trying to change you but i'm just showing you what's possible right so you talk about the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Living your truth. So if I were to tap into your mind a bit and, and ask, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to help people discover their truth? I have wrestled with this myself mm-hmm. because um, I don't hide away from it because I've been on both sides of the table. I've hired, I've fired, I've been hired, I've been fired. Mm-hmm. So, um, I know what it's like to go through the nine to five and have responsibilities. Listen, I've got a wife, two kids, a mortgage, and I'm running a podcast and I've got my nine to five. But in terms of living your personal truth is, I guess the first and I guess most impactful step you can do is knowing yourself knowing what you want. And I'm not just talking about your strength, but I'm so also talking about your frailties. Mm-hmm. What do you like? What don't you like? What do you dislike? What do you hate? What type of people, what triggers you? What, what, what makes you cry? What makes you laugh? How do you tap into your truth? You have to ask yourself the very simple question. What is it? Any type of scenario. And there are no questions. This is like internal dialogue with yourself. Name one thing you could be doing right now in any way, shape, or form, day in, day out, that you could wake up and that would never in any way, shape, or form, paid or not, make you unhappy. Mm-hmm. You know, 
if this is the one thing that you imagine, whether it's comic books, whether it's, you know, drawing chalk rainbows on a Sunday afternoon in a parking lot, I don't care. If it makes you happy, genuinely happy, and it's not hurting your fellow man, do that or find a way to do that or find a way to do that in your spare time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I understand responsibilities. I understand that dialogue. Yeah. I got, but I've got that. I've got this. I've got, yeah, that stuff handles themselves. Everything has their place, but mm-hmm. it can't be everything. You have to make time for yourself, but mm-hmm. knowing your truth starts with knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. That's me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I mean, I mean, as you were talking, I was like, man, you should write a list of questions that people get to ponder and, and create a profile of who they are. You know, wouldn't that be great? Like kind of like an MBTI, kind of like, like the personality assessment. Yeah. Like, yeah. The inner truth of, of who I am. Um, you know, I call it the sweet spot, but just to find out, you know, who I am in the sense of the, 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 the three point process I use is what are your superpowers? Okay. Right? Everyone's born with a set of, God-given abilities. You know what I'm talking about. There's, there's, there's some three-year-old kid. I saw him. He was, he was drumming, like, like on guru level. But he's three years old. Mm-hmm. That's a God-given ability. But then there's just people who, you know, like the rest of us. It's, it's a lot more, you know, um, it's, it's more hidden. It's more, it's more opaque. It's more, it's, it's, it's more transparent in the sense that, you know. I spent years trying to figure out what the hell I'm good at. And then, you know, I realized that, oh, I enjoy talking. Holy crap. I, I didn't know that that was an ability. But, you know, when people pointed out, you're like, okay, I guess I could communicate. I guess I do have an analytical mind. I guess I do have kind of like a scientific mind that kind of likes to turn everything into an algorithm. Mm-hmm. Okay, how can I now leverage that? And so uh, it's incredible how many people don't know what they're good at. So when I'll ask them, well, what's your superpower? They'll be like, I don't know. I don't know. know. Like, okay, so uh, if if you're in a room with 50 people that you know, I want you to imagine you're in a room, and I'll even do like this guided fake wannabe hypnotherapy. But like, close your eyes, you're in a room, all your friends are there, and I want Mm -hmm. you to tell me, if you looked at the entire room, what can you say are you better than 95% of the people in that room? What, what, What do you excel at that you can confidently say you're in the top five percent, so top five percentile in that group, and then they'll be like, "Oh well, I guess this, and I guess I can do that, and I guess." And now we're starting to build, you know, some some form of foundation of who this person is, what they're good at, because people who do what they're good at generally excel at the, at it. And when you're good at something, you generally like it more than things you don't, uh, things that you're not good at, right? There you go. So, so that usually helps people, at least in my line of work, help, help them find their truth. Um, but then you were talking about stuff like, you know, what's your, um, what's your, um, your stressors, right? Or your, your passion points. I call it, um, what ignites you emotionally, both positive or negatively could help you find your truth. As in, if you hate something, well, then you're passionate about it because it's it's emotionally moving you. You see, if, if you see, you know, someone who's unkind to an animal in the street and it boils your blood to the point where you go into this red rage, like my sister's like that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. someone will pick up a, a lobster at IGA, you know, 
and she'll freak out. And I'm the same way. I, I can't stand animal abuse. I can't stand any living being that can't fend for himself or itself that's being mm-hmm. taken advantage of. So animals definitely fall into that category. And I hate that. But you know what? Then it turns out that I'm passionate about these animals. And people need to be able to not only ask themselves, what do I love? But what do you hate? What, what drives you, you hate? insane? What can I stand? I cannot stand. You what what do you hate? That oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're, yeah. Really, you're really putting me on the spot. What do I hate? Yeah. What do I hate? Um, No, well, I wasn't expecting this one. I'm really trying to be honest here. Uh, Let's see. I'm just just trying trying to be sugarcoating here. What can I not stand? What I cannot, I cannot really, like really off the top, I cannot stand hypocrisy. Um, We're just talking for about, you know, because I'm very sensitive to human relations and I love people, but I have a lot more respect to somebody who would tell me like, you know what, you stink or you farted or I really don't like you. I don't like what you said Mm -hmm. or this thing that I did. If I did something to you, don't wait three years to tell me. Right. Right. If I did something, if I, because again, I'm not perfect. Okay. I probably, we were the best friends yesterday and we had something, we had a falling out. Let's talk it out. Let's go in the parking lot. Let's, let's, you know, just let's beef it out. Okay. I'm not, I have no problem with that. I have a lot more respect for you to come at me like on point and straightforward than you pretending that everything's okay. And then me right. finding out like three, four years later, or even a lifetime later that, yeah, that thing you did, well, kind of childish, right? Because like, mm-hmm. for me, it's just a, a measure of character that I can't stand. Or so that's, that's more existential. But on a base level, what do I hate? I hate, um, wow, what do I hate? What do I hate? Man. Big word. I'm really, uh, what, 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 what irks you or what keeps you up at night what, or what drives you what insane? Irrit- you know? what I'll irritate- give you an example. You're from sure. Port-au-Prince? Yep. Okay, I just watched this short documentary where they were talking about like the, the, the line that separates Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Yep. Holy shit. So it, it, it's painful to watch this. It is. So it is. to me, I'm Armenian, right? So I'm, I'm like, I'm like third generation kicked out of my country simply because, you know, I'm like a, a persecuted Christian apparently. Right. So, um, so I don't know much about any of these other stuff, but like I'm watching that and I'm like, holy crap, that moved me. And so, you tell me you're from Port-au-Prince, maybe you watch that and maybe that moves you to the point where you're saying something's got to be done. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the mm-hmm. time. And for me, on even a deeper level, sometimes just being a Haitian evolving in North America, but still seeing that, you know, the social political turmoil or turmoil that's still going on, stuff I grew up in and having friends and people I grew up in and grew up with, they're still back there. They're still home or still telling, giving me news of how, you know, gas prices are high and there's no electricity and the instability and everything that touches me because on a deeper level, you love these people and you can't quote unquote do anything or you're just mm-hmm. stuck here in privilege, if you will. Right. And you have to deal with this. So these are kind of feelings I wrestle with. But yeah, that does irk me. Right. Uh, you're passionate about that. Uh, it, 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 it could point towards, you know, for, for the last two things you mentioned, the first one you, you mentioned was you hate hypocrisy. Well, I'm hearing you value uh, honesty, truth, respect. Very much, very much. Right? Uh, and this last one here, 
just like me, of course, much, much closer blood ties, but we both value equality, some form of fairness. And it really does suck to be on this side of the border and saying, hey, we do have this privilege. And I can't do a damn thing about it. But there are people who act on those passions impulsively. And those are the people who change the world. This is true. And so the key is to tap into those things and say, what can we do? For me, I was, I hated the corporate life at the time. Of course, this was 20 years ago. A lot has changed since. It's, I mean, from what I see now, it's great. But like, you know, like <laughs> the, I'm not kidding, but like in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was really, it wasn't fun. So I was really fun. passionate about employee fulfillment. And it manifested itself 20 years later in my current profession and vocation. And, and you can, you can start seeing that pattern in people. Whether it's something they're passionate about, whether it's positive or negative, and how they, they, they act on that. And so th- that's what stuck out for me when you told me about, you know, the truth and how you help someone find that truth. It is. It is. Because to me, at the very least, whether it takes you, you know, um, two years, 10 years, whatsoever, at the very least, I want people throughout this conversation and these exchanges, because this is just me, right? I have to go through my own personal turmoil of like, you know, a breakdown. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but, you know, it's one thing I realize, as stupid as it sounds, at the very least, at the end of the day, no matter how you feel, and is this, is a, this is just a quote that I read. It's kind of a mantra I run with. No matter where you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. And you have to be, you know, able to accept who you are, how you are, when you are. And that is who you're going to run with. And that is who people have to connect with. And that is who people have to, you know, be impacted by. If that is, you know, your purpose to want to impact and influence. And I'm not, I'm using influence in terms of a broader sense of like helping people out, you know to let them know that, you know what, you have to start with you. You have to start with you. And that is something that, you know, I believe that a lot of us have to take a lot more time Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that it's not just about what you do. It's about who you are. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, disclaimer to anyone listening to this show, I'll I'll be real. Just just because I speak of these things doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I have it all together either. Oh no! It's just it's just my way of expressing what I'm observing in this life. But I too deny death. I too waste my time. I too don't know exactly who I am. I too feel like I'm running to stand still, and I too feel like every time I take ten steps forward, I might take eleven back. (laughs) Right? But you wrote a book, and it's a terrific book. (laughs) (laughs) well i'll tell you what i say we set up some future talks and we continue this conversation we totally and and we 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 help create heightened sense of awareness and and see if we can create more of that ripple effect to perhaps positively impact some people's lives Open invite. And I'm not just saying this. This is just something I open to all my guests. Anytime you want to be back, Aaron, like I said, safe space with a kindred spirit and, you know, a like-minded soul. 
anytime you want to be back, you know, we'll align the universe, we'll align the agendas, and we'll make it happen. Oh, yeah. I, I truly mean, do believe that there's a lot that, you know, that people need to hear and that needs to be discussed. Well, obviously. I think the next one's going to be um, how we're going to finish your book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now I put it out. It's recorded right. into the universe. Oh, yeah. And yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I, the, the, now I got something to show for it. Yeah, I, great. I, I'm brutal when it comes to these things. I, I, I have like, I don't remember anything, but I somehow have like an elephant, uh, elephant's memory when it comes to totally you know, putting people on the spot and, and making things super uncomfortable. So I'm totally going to bust your chops. I'm very big on accountability, trust me, because, you know, I would not talk about it if I did not, you know, hold myself accountable. To, again, I can't, you know, check out all the elements on my list, but, you know, this is one thing that has been, you know, in my universe, you know, on my mind for a while, you know, talk, talks with my wife, talks with family, mm-hmm. you know, just, just basically just ranting. And I'm just like, yeah, maybe I should get to writing that book, you know, well, probably. How point. about this? I'll set up this topic for our next talk, which is the process of writing a book and how that can perhaps help you take your writing to that next level. Oh, okay, fine. You know what? Let's lock it in. This is, yeah, sure. Tons of people are like, me too, I want to write a book. Me too. Hashtag me too. I want to write a book, you know? Obviously. Obviously. You know, I want to do like, you know, the TED Talk. I've been wanting to do a TED Talk for like, over 10 years and it happened. How did it happen? The process of a TED talk. I always wanted to write a book. And then now I'm like, I'm just checking off the bucket list. And so I can help perhaps share some of the information or, or so many of the mistakes I made so that you could save yourself like weeks and weeks of work. Right. You can just wake up and write it in 30 days and you had a publisher and like, now it's on Kindle and everywhere. Right. It didn't just happen overnight. Is that what you're saying? The person who finally got me (laughs) off my ass to, to write the book because I'd already put all the notes together, told me he was able to write his in two weeks. I was like, what? (laughs) Took me like four months. Right. But, but four months of after two years of compiling notes. So, it was like a four-year journey, I'd say, uh, from from beginning to end. But a process. Um, it's a process. But I think I think once you write that first one, um, it, it's just like anything else. It gets a lot easier. But I'd love to uh, uh, perhaps spend some time and, and just discuss that and some of the difficulties people have in in launching not just a book but any big project and getting those things off the ground and finding out what's actually holding them back and how to break it down into small digestible chunks to move it into something that's um tangible and real we'll make it happen we'll yeah. definitely make it happen you know thank you for just like for, for tuning in reaching out you know what i'm all about you know what somebody hands you something you just like in the dark you just okay hold a hand it's okay let's let's run with this terrific idea We'll make it happen. We'll definitely make it happen, Gary. <laughs> I don't want to keep you out too long, but you've been so generous with your amazing insight and terrific wisdom and awesome personality. Gary and Jamie, and I cannot thank you enough. It, this was an amazing conversation. We had never connected before, aside from a few exchanges over Instagram. But as the universe does, this was tremendously time well spent. I can't even put it any simpler. I really want to thank you for this. And I really want to acknowledge for all the terrific content you're pushing out. He is Gary and Jeremy on Instagram. Is that basically the best place to find you aside for Gary and Jeremy com as well? Uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, I'm pretty much all over the place. <laughs> but last one, as I like to leave off uh, all the guests, you know, just opening up the floor, uh, kind thought, 
positive, you know, positive note, a quote, call to action, anything, you know, something inspiring people to actually wake up tomorrow. Cause you're all big about accountability. As I noticed, mm-hmm. you know, just waking up tomorrow and just a next call to action towards that next step towards the next level. Floor is yours. Anything you want to leave the listeners with? Oh, I'll leave you with this story. Um, a couple months ago, some guy follows me on Instagram and sends me a message and says, Hey man, I'd love to have a chat with you on my podcast. Are you interested? <laughs> and I say, why the fuck not? And, um, it took a couple months, but here we are. And we had an amazing talk. I'm sure we went over time because like, there's like 90 minutes we're chatting now and there's no podcast that lasts 90 minutes, but I, maybe I'm wrong. Cause I don't listen to podcasts, but the point Aside, is this. Joe Rogan does four hours. I have no idea how he does it. Joe Rogan does three or four hours on his, I have no idea how he does it, but seriously, but yeah, I, there, there are a few. I mean, I'll tell you what, I mean, if, if, if it wasn't 10 PM, right. And you didn't have to wake up in the morning and take care of your kids, I could go on for four hours, but chances are, I'm definitely not as exciting or as interesting or as entertaining as Joe Rogan is. <laughs> and we'd probably have to smoke a big joint like he does anyway. And I'd, I'd be completely <laughs> incoherent. Sure. I'd be like the, the biggest zombie on, on, on the podcast. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that life, it appears to me, is really, really fun when it's spontaneous like this podcast was. And I urge everyone to just say yes to any and every opportunity that comes your way because you never know what what happens at the end of that road. For all you know, you end up doing your own TED Talk. You end up writing your own book. You end up changing careers five to seven times. You end up having your own podcast or you just end up making a new friend, Olivier and Garen, you know, and maybe they'll have their own show one day and all kinds of fun stuff. You never know. You say yes to the universe. It only happens if you say yes. And for the love of God, don't complain about it. Don't complain about it. Don't, <laughs> don't complain. complain. <laughs> Just don't do it. Not to me, man. Not to me. I can't think of it. <laughs> so as I said, you know, any form of talk, guys, It's it, he said it. He says this to all his clients. So anytime you want to connect with Garen, if you're going to connect with him, which you definitely should, follow, connect, you know, say hi, buy his book. You know, happy people work harder. Available on Amazon. Please, guys, come on, support. It's a terrific, it's a terrific book. I haven't finished it yet. I'm totally admitting it, but it's a, <laughs> for as far as I've gotten. If if this if this is totally picking his brain and some tremendous insight into you know the concept of how we can bring a little bit more purpose, a little bit more joy, a little bit uh, mindfulness into our workplace, both as employees but especially as leaders, because we're the ones leading um, you know individuals into you know you know putting out their best self in whatever endeavors but garen again we're definitely going to be this is the first of many i feel it we're speaking into the universe this is the first of many conversations to come i hope i cannot stress enough of you know how genuine and like you said i wasn't expecting this to be so existential but as spontaneous as it was it was totally so worthwhile and i really want to thank you for this really olivier uh Pleasure, my friend, is all mine, and I really mean that. Thank you so much. Whatever it is that you're doing, you're doing something absolutely great, and um, and it's all about creating awareness and, and just spreading that positivity. So I wish you all the best, and I can't wait to have that talk again. 
Guys, he is Garen Jermian, as I said, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and all over the places. He's not that hard to find, but all the links, as always, will be available on the blog post for this podcast once it goes live. I am your host, Olivier Day from Kanzak, Quebec, and uh, this is Awaken the Awesome, another episode in the can. You guys, stay blessed, stay loved, be safe, have a terrific evening, and stay awesome. This has been another episode of the Awaken the Awesome podcast. We do love to get your feedback, so please drop us a line. Our email address, awakentheawesome at gmail.com. Also, if you haven't already, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, give us a rating, and leave us a review. We always do appreciate your support, and thank you for listening. Stay awesome.